We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to further yesterday's conversation about the four components of a worldview and how those four things represent the very foundation of the maximum amount of human freedom that any of us can enjoy, whether you're Christian or whether you're not. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. So today I want to talk about this lesson of four, again, that I started yesterday. And yes, we've talked about it it several months ago. Maybe it was well over a year ago where I outlined the four parts of every worldview that every philosophy, every religion, every political theory, every worldview Every idea by which we govern our lives, whether it be individually or corporately, has four components. And you're answering four basic questions as you engage in the world around you, as you enter the market square of ideas, as you run for political office, as you serve as a corporate CEO, as you go to work, as you engage in daily life, as you function as a parent or even as a child within a family. Four components to every worldview play themselves out in your life. So I'm going to go back and talk about that briefly one more time, and I'm going to then launch into this idea, this argument that I have, that it's those four fence posts of life that provide the fence around your freedom, and without those four fence posts, there is no fence and you are not free. It's the paradox of discipline and freedom, freedom and fences, liberty and law that I've talked about over and over again. But this is so critical that I want to go back and revisit it, because if we don't understand this as a society, as a culture, as a people, as a nation, as a country, as a county, as a village, if we don't understand this as a church and as a family, we are going to lose our freedom. You will have no freedom if you tear down the fences. And you can't have fences without strong, stable, enduring, immovable corner posts. If you're a farmer or a rancher, you understand what I'm saying. It's this interesting paradox, almost a contradiction in terms, but it's the reality of freedom. So that's today's show. Let's take a break, and when I get back, I want to revisit just take a couple minutes to uh, revisit and, and uh, let, you, let you digest, understand, hear one more time about the four components to a worldview, and then this argument that because of those four components, driven deeply, immovably, in the ground, deep in the ground of reality, of objectivity, of truth, that you actually have freedom because of the context. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Like I said, let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. 
In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So today's show, it's a bit of a refresher course on something I've talked about repeatedly over the course of these broadcasts. And by the way, we're up to 676, I believe, various different episodes of The Rebellion right now. We've been doing this for, well, I believe over two years because I've been doing it on a Monday through Friday basis every day, Monday through Friday, that is, every week for the last couple of years. We've added we've um, added to the number of rebellion broadcasts to the point where the one that you're listening to right now is 677. We have approximately 60 to 70,000 listeners, or listens, I should say. There's a difference between listeners and listens. But I know that there are that many listens. I can't claim that they're separate individuals because I can't see that in the in the, in the analysis, but I can see how many times the show has been clicked on and listened to, and that's upwards to 70,000 per month. Last year, there were 700,000 plus listens, and if you like what you're experiencing on The Rebellion, please consider forwarding it on to your, to your friends, your family, uh, post it in your social media. Why? Because more people will hear, and even if they disagree with something I'm saying, I, I would argue that's good. That's, that's what it means to be a human being. That's what it means to truly be a conservative, as, I, as I've said over and over again. Conservatives conserve the truth. How do you conserve something? You fight for it. You protect it. You guard it. You argue about it. You debate it. You then define it well, and then you can protect it, defend it. You can conserve it. And that's what we do with the environment. That's what we do with air and water. That's what we do with our bank accounts. We conserve them. And that's what we should also do with ideas that matter, the ideas that will serve as the foundation for our society, for our culture. You know, I was in the car the other day or in the truck with a couple local friends, and we started talking about a conservative liberal worldviews. And one of the guys in the truck asked me a question. I said, well, you're a farmer. You'll understand what I'm going to say. The reason we're having so much problem in our culture right now is we've lost the cult. And I made it very clear. I'm not talking about a false religion. 
And what I am saying is that the root word of culture is cult. And it's the same root word as cultivate. And as a farmer, uh, you and anybody listening to me right now who farms or has farmed, or maybe you ranch, you understand the basic tenets of cultivating. When you cultivate a field, you plow it, you till it in consistent parallel rows. You don't just go willy-nilly zigzagging across the field. That wouldn't make any sense. It would be a waste of time, and you wouldn't have a good crop. If you're going to plow a field, whether it was was with horses back in the old days or with uh, you know half-million-dollar tractors and equipment today, you go in parallel rows. In fact, today you've got a GPS system that actually guides you into perfect parallel rows, cultivated rows. That is the concept of cultivating a field. And the same concept prevails in your culture. You've got parallel and consistent rows of ideas that make sense. And they don't zigzag willy-nilly and contradict and cross over one another. They actually are in parallel, consistent with, aligned with one another, and therefore you have a culture, just like you cultivate a field. So the problem today in our culture, the United States of America, our country, is that we've lost the cult. There's no parallel, consistent Um, aligned ideas that define us as a people. We're just crisscrossing over the top of one another, and we've got a mess on our hands. Does that make sense? Well, let's use that as a segue into today's show and why it's the cultivated field that has consistency and predictability, parallel ideas, and permanent fence posts that gives us freedom. All right? So the four points of a worldview, I discussed those yesterday. And I suggested there are three different ways of looking at this lesson of four. One is Chuck Colson's model, and that is you have four fence posts, if you will, four cornerstones to every worldview. And those are the origin of man, the nature of man, the redemption of man, and the responsibility of man. Every worldview, whether you're a Methodist or a Muslim, whether you're a Buddhist or a Baptist, an Anglican or an atheist, answers those four basic questions. Origin of man, where did you come from? Nature of man, are you good or are you evil? Redemption of man, if there's a problem, how do you redeem it and solve it? And then the fourth question is responsibility, responsibility of man. What are you supposed to do about it once you answer these previous four questions? And you can see that if you answer those questions like a communist or a Marxist, you're going to have a very different culture, you're going to have a very different society and country, community, as a result of your answers versus the answers of Christendom, for example, and the way the West was developed, the way the West was won. So why do we, in particular, we meaning the United States, Canada, the Western world, Europe, etc., enjoy more freedom than other cultures? Because we answered those questions differently. That's my point. So Colson's model is the lesson of four, origins of man, nature of man, redemption of man, and responsibility of man. Then I suggested you have the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Some will take this all the way back to Augustine. The bottom line, it's the quad. What's quad? Four. What are the four ideas of the quadrilateral? Well, they are history, experience, reason, and revelation. History. The ideas of the past have value. Don't discard them just because they're old. Because if they've endured the test of time, they may have done so because they're right. They're true. They're better ideas than those ideas that have fallen away. 
So if there is history and tradition, if there are ideas out there that are old, you might want to respect them rather than disparage them. Uh, Chronological snobbery, thinking that your new ideas that are five minutes old can just trump the ideas of the centuries, of the millennia, of 5,000 years versus five minutes, that's rather arrogant. And what C.S. Lewis warned about in terms of chronological snobbery, we should take very serious today because our culture is very guilty of that. We, we're very arrogant. Um, I, I, that's my difficulty with millennials and Gen Zers in particular. Really, you're going to ignore grandma and grandpa just because you think you've got it all figured out because you read something and your research shows that you know more about parenting, you know more about government, you know more about the economy, you know, you know more about masks, you know more about vaccines or lack thereof, you know more about everything, you know more about religion, you know more about politics, you know more about the United States of America and its origins, you know more about racism, you know more about everything than your grandma and grandpa and more than your founding fathers like Jefferson, Hamilton, John Jay, John Adams, and George Washington, and Benjamin Franklin. You know more than Montesquieu and Hobbes and Hume. You know more about Moses. You know more than Jesus. You know more than C.S. Lewis. You know more than G.K. Chesterton. You know more than Augustine or Thomas Aquinas. You know, you get my point. Really, you're, you're suggesting that we're the arrogant ones because we think, conservatives think we understand truth better than liberals, but yet you will claim that you know more than all of these people that preceded us? Hmm, a little Shakespeare might be apropos here. Methinks thou protesteth too much. In other words, seriously, take a spoonful of humility and just relax a bit. The people that went before you aren't as stupid as you think they are, and you might not be as bright as you're pretending to be. I'm going to go with Thomas Jefferson and C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton and Hobbes and Hume. I'm going to go with the sages of the ages before you and your current paradigm any day of the week. Why? Because it has stood the test of time. So that lesson of four, history or tradition, one and the same. And then reason. You have a brain, use it. This disparaging of logic and reason as if it's the product of white privilege is just ridiculous because you're using a pretension of logic and reason to refute and condemn logic and reason. You're self-refuting. You guys don't recognize it. You're, you're saying, I can't tolerate your intolerance. I hate you hateful people. I'm sure that nothing is sure. I know that nothing can be known. I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. And it's reasonable to say that reason should be rejected because... I say so because my reason trumps yours because reason is bad. It's ridiculous. So the self-refuting claims and the disparaging of reason, while you can't do so without using a reasonable, or at least your pretense of it, a reasonable argument. Okay, so history and reason, experience. And I've said before, that's the Dr. Phil question. How's it working for you? If you're watching stuff break down in our culture, if you're watching women lose their rights under the banner of the trans movement, you might want to ask the question, how's that one working for you? To honor men as being woman of the year doesn't make any sense because now women lose their rights under the banner of honoring women. How's it working for you? How is the radical LGBTQIA worldview working for you? It's breaking down everything. Children are losing their innocence. Women are losing their rights. Men are losing their dignity under the banner of toxic masculinity. Being a man is now poisonous in our culture. 
being a woman now means nothing because a man can steal your identity as a woman and steal your bathroom and your shower, your scholarship, and your sport. Being a child now means anything because these lunatics are arguing that a child can now declare that they are going to change their gender when that child can't even legally buy cigarettes, can't buy alcohol, can't drive a car, can't serve in the military, can't even get married without adult supervision and permission. You're going to say that that child can now go to a doctor and hide the fact that they're doing so from their parent and at age 10, 11, 12, 14, or even 15 or 16, that that child can make these radical, life-changing, body-changing decisions to have functioning organs removed and have steroids injected into their system where they will permanently alter their physiology and who they are as a human being. They'll be scarred for life. So children aren't being protected any longer in this lunatic world of upside down, right is wrong and wrong is right and evil is good and good is evil and bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. This mad hatter's world where everything that would be will not be and everything that would not be will be. In other words, it makes no sense. You can't communicate with one another any longer. So you've got history, also known as tradition. You have reason. Use your brain and stop disparaging reason and logic. And then finally, experience. How's it working for you? If it's not working, it might be a bad idea. You just might want to step back and say, this ain't working. And we've got to figure out what does work better than this. So let's look at the track record of ideas over the course of time. And then finally, as you're evaluating those three things, you've got to recognize there has to be a trump card on this whole discussion. Otherwise, it's just a power play, a consistent uh, posturing of whoever has the bully pulpit at the time, whoever has won politically and has the majority, or whoever has just more power, more guns, more, more authority over everybody else and can punish them if they step out of line. And that's why the trump card can't be human beings. It has to be something outside of ourselves. It has to be natural law, law that's natural. It has to be common sense, sense that's common. It has to be the revelation of God on the human heart. The truth of God, as the Apostle Paul says, is written on every human heart. And when we start worshiping ourselves rather than God, then we're given over to a reprobate mind. In other words, we have to have revelation. We have to have scripture as the trump card. And that's the lesson of four when you speak of the quadrilateral. And then, as I said yesterday, there's a third way to look at the lesson of four. So you've got the first one, which is the Colson-esque view, and that is origin of man, nature of man, redemption of man, and responsibility of man. You've got the second lesson of four, and that's the quadrilateral, and that is history, reason, experience, and revelation. You have to have those four, those four fence posts, those four pillars, those four cornerstones. And then the third way to look at the lesson of four is what I called, uh, this is the Piper way, um, this is what I wrote into the mission of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, where we codified and defined and distinguished that university as being very different than any other. And we stood for the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom. Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Truth is revealed by God, not made up by you or me. And then wisdom, consistency, integrity, holiness, sanctification in biblical terms is demanded by God. It's not optional. 
I'll go back and give you those four again. The primacy of Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he claimed to be and claims to be in the present tense because he's eternal. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Great I Am. He is the second person of the triune God who will come at the end of days to judge the living and the dead. He's the judge of all at the end of time. This is Jesus. This is what he claimed for himself. This is what John, the apostle, claimed of him. He, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was not anything made that was made without him. These are claims that are made of Jesus, and these are the things Jesus said of himself. In Revelation, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He told us that he will come at the end of times to judge us. It's not going to be a great big group hug at the end of days. It's going to be the great white throne judgment. And Jesus will judge everyone. And we're told that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We're told that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. Faith in who? Jesus and his sacrificial atoning for our sins. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. So it's this grace, it's this faith, it's this atonement of Christ on our behalf that gives us access to what? The ultimate freedom. Freedom here on earth to not worry about all this garbage going on around us because it's not just about, about this temporal time. It's about the long game plan, and the long game plan is eternity. It is the, what Jesus, what, uh, not Jesus, but um, C.S. Lewis said when he told us that on a daily basis, you never interact with anybody, any human being who is not an eternal, an eternal being. Your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, these are eternal creatures. They will go on for eternity. So look at the long game plan, not the short term but the long-term. And that'll change the way you interact with people. Make sense? All right, so Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is who he claims to be. The Bible is the Word of God. That's the trump card. That is the measuring rod outside of this debate. If I'm wrong, prove it. But how are you going to prove it other than with your opinion? And what difference does your opinion make? <clears throat> Excuse me. What difference does your opinion make if it isn't grounded in something? I don't care what your opinion is if it's nothing but feelings. I want some facts, and you should say the same thing about what I'm saying right now. If all I'm doing right now is spending 30 minutes spouting off my opinion, then why are you wasting your time listening to me? You have to have some anchor point. Your, your ideas have to be rooted in something deeper than just sand, shallowness, or otherwise they just blow away. Uh, you have to have depth in your worldview, and it can't be your opinions and feelings. It has to be something more immutable, unchangeable, enduring, and true. So the primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of Scripture, the trump card, the pursuit of truth, that's the f third um, fence post in the Piper worldview. Truth is something you pursue. It's not a construct of culture. You don't just get to make truth up as you go, because if you're doing that, it's not true. It's, it changes, and true doesn't change. Truth is enduring. As Osgina said, truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. Does that make sense? 
you've got to have a standard. Is it true that rape is wrong, or does that change with culture? Is it true that the Holocaust was a bad deal, it was evil? Or is that just a product of our critique of the Germans at the time? And, well, it could be different if somebody else would have won. If Hitler would have won, the Holocaust wouldn't have been bad. Do you really believe that? Or is the Holocaust evil objectively? Is it evil regardless? Is it always wrong to go out and shoot people in the head because you don't like them? Is it always wrong to imprison people, work them to death, and then burn them in furnaces once you're done with them? Is that a bad thing? I would hope you would say yes and that that's not just a social construct. You get my point? So there are objective truths out there, even beyond those truths that you can test in a, in a laboratory. You know, we know that certain things are true scientifically. For example, we know that gravity is true. It, you can't float if you fall off the edge of the Grand Canyon. You're going to fall. You're not going to go up. You're going to go down. That's true. Irrefutably so. doesn't matter how you feel about it. doesn't matter what your opinion is. Go st step off the edge of that cavern, of that cliff, the side of the Grand Canyon or any other precipice, and you're going to fall because the law of gravity is irrefutable. It's true. doesn't matter what your feelings are. The facts don't care about your feelings, to quote Jim Ben Shapiro. So that's the third component. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. Primacy of Christ, Jesus is who he claims to be. The priority of Scripture, that's your trump card. The Bible is the word of God. And then the third component, the third fence post in the Piper worldview is the pursuit of truth. You have to acknowledge that there are truths out there. Otherwise, you can't disagree with me. You would be wasting your breath, your time. You wouldn't even care. You wouldn't be listening to this and saying, well, that's wrong. I disagree with them. You, you have no basis for that if something isn't true to make you right and me wrong. There has to be a judge uh, to have a court of law. There has to be a referee to have a ball game. There has to be a conductor to perform a concerto. You have to have an authority figure, and that authority is truth. And then finally, after you resolve all these things, these first three questions, these th first three fence posts and ideas, pillars, if you will, you then move on to do something about it. If you just hold these ideas in your head and you don't practice anything, then it's totally a waste of time. You have to practice what you preach. You have to integrate head and heart, fact and faith, belief and behavior. You have to be a man and woman of integrity. You actually become sanctified. You become set apart. You actually do the things that you claim to believe. Practice of wisdom. So in the last few minutes of the show, what's that have to do with freedom? Well, let's look at it in terms of the fence around your field. If you have a field and it's 20 acres and it's relative, most fields are rectangular in shape, right? Or approximately so. If you want your animals to experience the full freedom of living within that field, Without the danger of running off, getting hit in the street or the highway, etc., getting lost, starving to death, getting killed by predators. If you want your animals to experience and live within the freedom of the property you own, what do you do? You put a fence up. Well, how do you put a fence up? Well, you put a corner post at all four corners of that rectangle. And then you string a fence line, barbed wire, smooth wire, whatever you do, boards, Wood, pipe, you put a fence up between those corner posts. Well, you can't put the fence up without corner posts because it'll fall over. It won't stand if you don't have strong corners. So the first thing you do is you set your corner posts, and then you string the wire in between those corner posts. 
then you have a fence. And then your cows, your animals, your horses can roam freely within that field. Now, if you only had three corner posts, you would cut your rectangle in half, essentially, and have a triangle. Well, your cows would be free, I suppose. Your horses would be free within that triangle. You could have strong corner posts, but the point here is they only have half the freedom that they would have had had you set the fourth post. Get my point? You've cut their freedom in half. Now, if you only set two corner posts and you string a fence in between the two, you have the illusion of freedom, but it's really not honest. It's not true. It's not real because your animals will figure out quite quickly, even though they're stupid horses and cows, that they can walk around the ends of those two corner posts and get loose, disappear, get hurt, get stolen, get killed. So the illusion of freedom is there with just two posts, but there is no real freedom because of the dangers involved. So finally, finally, you could only have one post. And what can you do with that? Well, you could chain your horse, tether your horse to that one post. You could chain your dog to that one post. And they would be safe, but would they be free? No, their freedom is greatly restricted. They only have as much freedom as the law of that one chain or that one tether gives them. So there is no freedom. Now, so that's my point. You've got to have, you've got to live within the reality of the lesson of four for ultimate freedom. And it's the biblical worldview of Colson, of the quadrilateral, and I'm going to say even the Piper Pillars of Christ, Scripture, Truth, Wisdom. Those four corner posts on each of the extreme edges of the field of freedom give us more human liberty than we've ever realized in, with any other worldview. And even non-Christians like Dennis Prager have admitted that and said that without Christianity, this worldview, we would have no freedom in the United States. So that's today's lesson on the lesson of four and the paradox of liberty and law. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.